Welcome back, Crack fans. As always, I'm your host, Dalton Thieneman. We are currently in the middle of Indian Wells, so there are too many headlines to name, but I'm about to watch Serena and Venus go head-to-head in the third round, which should never happen. <laughs> I think it's the first time they've gone um, head-to-head this early in a tournament since 1998 or so. So that'll be fascinating to watch. Uh, go check out the website, CrackedRackets.com, and add that on the favorites on your website browser on your phone if you haven't already. Uh, Parker Thieneman has been keeping you updated on the entertaining headlines in the tennis world. Alex Leopold just last week dropped his infamous next-gen power rankings with all of the top Americans, and uh, many of which are uh, doing really well this week at Indian Wells, so kudos to him. And then he and Gruskin also recently debated Francis Tiafo's first ATP title win at Delray Beach, and if he is now a legitimate threat on tour, so... Go check that out as well. One quick plug in. Go follow our Twitter and Instagram pages. The handle is Cracked Rackets, of course. And if you haven't already, go subscribe, rate, and review the Great Shop podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fliegner have new episodes with that banterous back-and-forth style you love every week. And I think this week, the latest episode features super producer Max Fliegner and a few of his teammates from Dartmouth, and they've had a exciting 2018 so far to say the least so go check that out and hear about the success they've been having up at Dartmouth but on this edition of Cracked Interviews Jackson Bridge Academy founders and co-directors Mitch Bridge and Kevin Jackson join the podcast to share the genesis behind their elite full-time tennis academy based out of their premier Los Cab Sports Village in Southern California maximizing tennis development through a CEO mentality they finally settled the ongoing Chipotle versus Qdoba debate, which is entertaining to say the least, and shed some light into what it's like flying first class to Dubai. Um, as many of you know, in December, Cracked Rackets announced our partnership with Jackson Bridge Academy in a series of content collaborations, so we're excited to give you an extended introduction of two of Southern California's top coaches and academy directors, and Mitch Bridge and Kevin Jackson. And They've, cre- they've come together to create a unique full-time academy that has a lot of elements that you know can help develop world-class players. So enjoy Gruskin and I's conversation with Mitch and Kevin. Tonight on on Cracked Interviews, we've got my co-host this evening, Alex Gruskin, joining us. Alex? Always a pleasure, Dalton. Thank you for having me. And then tonight we have the pleasure of having uh, Jackson Bridge Academy 
Mitch Bridge and Kevin Jackson from Jackson Bridge Tennis Academy, which is an elite full-time tennis academy based out of Los Cabs, Sports Village in Fountain Valley, California. Guys, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, hi, guys. You know, we'll get started here. Mitch, Kevin, tell us a little bit about your tennis backgrounds. Kevin, go ahead. It's uh, not too complicated. I uh, actually started off by working for a demo computing company and then uh, uh, decided I wanted to play a little bit of tennis. So I went over to the Racket Club of Irvine. This was about 17 years ago and became a teaching pro there. And from then on, I had been at the Racket Club of Irvine in Irvine, California um, as a teaching pro. And then I actually worked for one of the academies that was there for a while and then started my own program. And for my own program, uh, built a company called Cavian Tennis and then uh, ended up partnering with Mitch recently and dissolved Cavian to, uh, to um, establish Jackson Bridge. And Mitch, what about you? Uh, I was at Southern Cal Junior, played at Long Beach State, played a, a ton of like money, money tournaments, men's tennis, a little bit of, of uh, pro point stuff carried a ranking for a few years and been teaching tennis my whole adult life after college and I moved to Colorado for uh, 13 years had a boarding academy there and owned a club there and came back to Southern California 10 years ago started Southern California Tennis Academy which had a full-time component and then I've kept Southern California Tennis Academy as an after-school high-performance group and took the full-time component and partnered with Kevin at Lowe's Cab to have a one-stop shop there where we have boarding and fitness and tennis and food and everything on-site so that, uh, you know, it's a very necessary ingredient to to succeed in this business. Absolutely. And I want to do a quick fun question before, you know, we let you guys debrief us about the Academy. Uh, how did you decide that the Jackson would go first before the bridge? And, uh, you know, tell us about your partnership, why you guys work so well together. Well, um, <laughs> go <yeah>. ahead, Kevin. <laughs> I will, uh, we, we can't disclose how we ended up with Jackson first. Uh, Mitch, <laughs> Mitch, Mitch gave me his perspective on, on the, the vice versa. So we ended up with Jackson Bridge. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of different comments about Jackson Bridge. Some people say it sounds like a real estate company. Someone told us that it sounded like um, a wine, you know. <laughs> we've got a bunch of different takes on, on if we decided not to choose tennis, we can, we've got a couple of different avenues that we can go in um, with, with the name. Well, well, uh, I, start, either way, I was going right? to say, the Irvine Vineyard, I'm in on that. Right? Money. You know, <laughs> you never know. You never know. Exactly. So, I, like, I like the way it sounds. Yeah, no, it actually is a good fit. But uh, in, terms of, in terms of the partnership, I mean, it really, uh, in terms of how it, it complements, I mean, we've got, you know, I'm kind of crazy, bouncing around, yelling, screaming, going nuts, and Mitch is kind of calm. So I think what we have now is we do have, you know, kind of, a, you know, a different approach but we can now merge that into one philosophy and so you kind of get the best of everything now so you get the intensity you get you know the balance i was there's, hoping, some, good, there's some good cop bad cop in there somewhere too <laughs> i was gonna say the, the answer i was looking for is you and him played a set and kevin ended up winning the set and therefore kevin got the name first actually that's pretty much how it worked <laughs> perfect so, so it's obvious you know why you all merge together uh you know you have a comprehensive academy one-stop shop um how far back does this relationship go how did you meet and how did you you know start discussing that kevin i'll get this one right um, yeah you're drumming up some dirt that's good 
about 15 years ago, Kevin was running the workout at the academy that we were visiting, essentially practicing at while we were playing a Futures, a futures Qualies uh, in Laguna Niguel. So he was running the workout. And then 10 years ago, when I moved back here, you know, he was teaching essentially a rival program at the same club I was at, you know, kind of, you know, we were more, more like competing and I watched him work for a few years kind of next door to him and uh, his work ethic is unmatched, you know, it's just serious as a heart attack and doing all, all the right stuff. And so uh, he hit me up about, I think it's been maybe nine months now saying, Hey, if you, interested in doing something if you're interested let me know and it took a few months to kind of figure out you know something that was going to work and i think we, we well actually started. actually the romance began sooner than that we we met up at uh, indian wells for a minute too that's that's actually when it started so i think it was last year at indian wells we ran into each other and i was kind of thinking you know it'd be nice to get you know some sort of partner going or partnership going um with mitch at the time as well and in terms of crafting your message for your academy students in terms of implementing a plan was that something you guys came up with over time or even before you started the academy did you guys get together and say you know here's the mentality we want to approach this with here's our plan for implementing that mentality now let's go to work it's a work in progress i mean uh, i think for where we are um we're looking at you know this is our fifth month fifth or sixth month of of, of business you know so it's kind of like we've been looking at the type of players that we have, what we want to get out of them. Um, and through that, you know, we, we, had a, we have a general outline of what we're looking for for each player. But we're also trying to figure out how do we make this, how do we continually make this a unique experience, you know, where it's not just the typical uh, academy where you're coming into a big group. But how do we get to the point where it's, uh, someone can come in and feel like they, they, it's not just us saying that it's individualized, but they actually are individuals so it is right now it's a work in progress i mean we're really trying to make sure that it's something that is um for everyone uh in their own you know with what they need on a monthly basis it we're, we're keep adjusting to uh to fit what we want to have long term with the crew that we have now so it, it, it gets better every month and that makes sense so does that kind of where the ceo mentality comes from because I know that's part of, you know, your development strategy, not only for the players on court, but kind of a long-term character build, which is going to help them with their goals, you know, for college or for professional right. tennis, but also long-term in their careers afterward. Is that something that is a, is a daily grind and that's something that you work on, you know, throughout the development process or how did you come up with that? You know, at first they have to become soldiers. Um, they have to become really good students and, you know, listen and have self-control and, you know, learn all that stuff. And once they can start steering their own shit more on the daily training, then then you start getting into the CEO mentality of planning and, and really leading, helping lead their training and their careers and seeing this as a overall development of their life as a piece of it. You make a soldier and then you turn them into a CEO. Oh, I love that mentality. I cannot tell you how much my old coach used to say, uh, or at least my high school tennis coach, you know, we're a team, he's the general and we're the soldiers and, you know, the seniors or the lieutenants and so on and so forth. So I love that mentality. You know, one thing, I'm not a big acronym guy myself, but I noticed you guys have PEAK and CEP. Just how do those two, and for our listeners who don't know, PEAK stands for Performance Evaluation Assessment Key. Uh, CEP is Competitive Edge Plan. And 
those are really the two staples of the Jackson Bridge experience. Uh, can you kind of talk about what those two acronyms mean and how you guys go about implementing them? Yeah, we, you know, there's another component called phase three, which it's kind of a threefold deal and three, I guess is a big number for us. But um, for example, as a player comes into our program, uh, uh, the, the phase three would be kind of an evaluation of where they are based on, let's say a kid comes in, he's 12 years old. Um, for us, we want to be able to say at 12, year, 12 years old, you should be able to do this and this, and you should be able to compete at this level, so on and so forth. So it's kind of like a chart uh, to give us a starting point. And from the starting point of phase three, then it would go to peak. So for example, we would evaluate the player. Um, and with that evaluation under peak, with the performance evaluation key, we're looking at fitness, we're looking at results, we're looking at tournaments, we're looking at you know technique, we're looking at tactics, where they are mentally, physically, um, kind of the whole gamut. Then it goes to um, something that I think isn't necessarily done well, and we're still, it's a work in progress for us as well, but um, CEP would be their business plan. So basically, uh, looking at every player as here's your business model. So it's the three months, six months, nine months, five year, whatever it is, um, going along with the CEO theme. But the idea would be here's the business plan for this player in that they're proficient at this or they're not proficient at this. And then how, this is how we're going to implement that, right? So we've got a SWOT evaluation, you know, for every player. But really what it comes down to is it's a way for us to say that one, we want to know where you started. Um, then we want to evaluate you to see what you're capable of. And then we'll split out this plan that's going to determine what's going to happen over the next, you know, five years of your life or until graduation or until you decide to be a pro. Um, obviously, uh, no plan is uh, is perfect. So there's also room for um, continual, you know, evaluations and, and development of the plan as, as we go. You know, from what I'm taking from it, you cater and you craft plans specifically to the player. So, for instance, Evan Spencer, uh, who is one of your top players who just recently committed to Arizona, is there a plan that you've drawn out on a, you know, is it a monthly basis? Is it a six-month basis in preparation for, you know, his transition to college tennis? Or how far do those plans go? With his, I mean, he's leaving in August for Arizona, so it's 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 been on an August plan since we started this academy the 1st of September. He's been on a one-year plan. We want to do, you know, have these different things happening within his game, you know, coming to net better, returning serve better, you know, more spin on the forehand, heavier backhand, you know, the, the list of, of things as well as, you know, become a 13 UTR, you know, have a national men's open top 100 ranking, play a certain amount of of futures pro tournaments you know that the list is extensive but his his was a simple plan in that he's gone in august can i ask a quick non-jackson bridge related question just because in terms of utr and coaches using that in their consideration is that a system now that you got you're stressing to your players you know build your utr that will get you opportunities or is that more in the background thought of you know follow our training program and the results should come uh, we were just talking about UTR today. I mean, um, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually not new to it, but over the last year, a couple of years, I really I spent a little more time investing in and seeing where everybody is. I think it is. I mean, I think it's a valid way to uh, to determine, um, you know, even going into a tournament. Hey, by the way, you know, the average UTR last year for this tournament is a nine. Right. I mean, it, it gives you a great idea of what you need to prepare for and who you need to prepare for. Um, you know, with with an established and, you know, I think uh, quantifiable system. And I think 
you know, it's great being able to look at college teams, the entire college team. Gavin can look at University of Arizona and know what everybody's UTR is, right. know kind of where he's going to be, and then we're going to shoot high and say that, you know, Clancy Shields, the Arizona coach, is terrific and very driven, and that team's going to get a whole lot better. So we're shooting pretty high to ensure that he starts. So UTR, the other thing I like about UTR is that Kids tend to look up on UTR. Like they tend to set the next highest goal and they think they're going to get there. They're not really looking down, like scared of people rank below them. They just want the higher number. It sounds like, you know, UTR has kind of balanced the field a little bit, whereas tennis recruiting was more that ladder approach, like you, you mentioned, where, you know, kids are, are terrified of, of losing a match to a lower ranked player because they fall 10 spots. Whereas, therefore, you know, therefore, competing less, being scared to compete. And so they're pulling out of tournaments. They're not playing this or playing that. And I think the negative part of tennis recruiting, and I love all this stuff as a game. And we tell kids, this is just a game. Look at your little grade. Look at what you have right now and forget about it. Develop, get better. You know, all this is is a, a little temporary grade. That means nothing. When you walk on the court, it's worthless. Right. So build your game, but it's a fun part of it where you can look at and set goals and and do that stuff, but but don't get too caught up in it because it's it's you know it's kind of meaningless. Yeah, the UCR I think does take that that kind of ranking element out of it. It's more based on what you're what you're proficient at, and how good you're playing on any given you know at any given tournament. It's also nice to clean the slate every thirty matches. Right. What UTR does, it only <laughs> it's your last thirty, so. Our kids See, play a lot of matches. Well, so I, I agree. You're definitely right in the idea of, well, okay, you guys, first of all, are way more experienced at this, so you're probably right in general. But my qualms, I guess, with UTR in general, one, doesn't do too effective of a job in terms of implementing doubles play in particular. I just, I, I don't think UTR's found a way to adjust to doubles results in tournaments. And I think as a, you know, most players who play seriously have the goal of going to college as opposed to going to pro. And I think implementing doubles matches would certainly help college coaches figure out, okay, this kid's a complete package. Maybe I should take a chance on him. And then my second thing would be, you know, to the players who can play many tournaments, UTR does help because if you go on, you know, your game goes hot and cold and you go on a hot streak, you can certainly, uh, you know, it's reflected in your UTR, but, you know, for the kids who play sparingly, who only can go to, you know, they go to the Easter Bowl once during the year, and that's really all of their traveling money for the year. UTR doesn't do them justice because if right. they get a big result, they kind of, you know, are left behind because they're not playing as much. Yeah, but we're also we're also a little bit limited, for example, from a doubles perspective. It's it's not as if doubles is like a major highlight for junior tournaments. I mean, I think oh. it is. It is I something. Agree to disagree. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, you know, we'll have some of the, the lower level tournaments for kids. If we're looking at the majority of the group, right? Some of the lower level tournaments, if they don't have enough teams signing up for doubles, okay, you got four teams. That means you played one match and you were in the finals. You know what I mean? So it's not, you know, it's, it's some of the larger tournaments, yes, but for the majority of our, you know, for our groups, um, if you're playing level four, level five, and sometimes even a level three, you don't have a lot of people signing up. So some of it is culture. I'm not saying the doubles is not important. I'm, was it kind of a double specialist myself, but I don't, I don't see where in junior tennis, like there's really a major push to play a ton of doubles. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I know Gruskin could talk about UTR all day, but I kind of want to switch gears here for a second. <laughs> um, 
So I want to talk about, you know, specifically about the facilities at Los Cab. Uh, you know, it's reputation. Uh, it's known as one of the premier full service tennis facilities in the entire country. I think, um, I've heard people say there's 23 courts or so. Uh, there's even a, a stadium court and you have housing facilities there as well. I know that's going to, you know, that's a major draw for players and parents, you know, and, you know, specifically talk a little more about all of the full service facilities you have there. Yeah. You know, Los Cab is actually one of the first multi sport facilities. Um, in Orange County and in even in California. But, um, you know, again, kind of what Mitch touched on, uh, having everything in one place does actually put us ahead of the game. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, there's a ton of different academies around. Um, I think, you know, Wild, for example, they have, you know, their own facilities. But we're now in the running for something like that. I mean, we're at the point where we've got uh, condos 100 yards from the courts. You can walk from your condo to the court you know, uh, as often as you like, we've got food service to Olympic sized pools to where all the services, for example, are also kind of all inclusive. So our kids come in as, as club members and they're basically using the whole facility as if it's their, their giant house. Yeah. It's great to be at a club where, uh, you, know, you can go eat at the cafe or run to the condo because you forgot something, but mostly the, the parents just feel like it's a safe environment being in, in one facility. So it really gives us a good shot at, uh, and we're seeing that in our growth where uh, when students inquire, we're getting a high rate of success on them signing up when they talk about, oh, I'm going to go to Nadal Academy or IMG or, or come to you guys. You know, we're in the game now. With those facilities and with that space where, you know, you literally have everything at the palm of your hand, is there a specific type of player that you're focusing on bringing in? Is there a certain message that you're, you know, promoting to any players that do want to take their game to the next level? They have their sights set on collegiate tennis or even taking it to the professional level. Is there a certain, you know, player in the 12s, the 14s, or are you looking for anyone in that competitive realm, you know, looking to take their game all the way? Just looking for driven players, players that really want it. We also categorize kind of the program as well. So not only do we have the evaluation method, but we're also looking at it's a path to pro or a path to college. I think with our phase three assessment, when a player comes in, we want to be able to say, you know, where are you looking to end? Where's your end goal? Um, And with that, like I said, it comes down to um, us defining then what that, you know, what, what we provide based on that end goal. So for us, it's not, Hey, come in on a recreational basis or come in just because you like to play tennis. It's really come in because you want to play D1 or come in because you want to be a pro, you know, and therefore we can kind of establish our culture. And when you come into it, you know what to expect. No, absolutely. And I saw on a video on your website, which I have to say, I very much enjoyed going through the website. I like the fact that you guys are demonstrating what you're doing on court, kind of displaying some of the fitness drills, which I know when I was younger, I was using as well. But Mitch, my question is actually for you, because I saw you make the comment, Jackson Bridge Academy is not necessarily the academy for someone who it's their first academy experience and they don't really know what they get are getting into. You mentioned how it's a place for, you know, a serious tennis player, someone who has aspirations. I guess, what is your guys' approach towards that player development? What is it that makes you guys so serious and, you know, so, you know, enthusiastic about, you know, developing your players? I think we both came up as athletes who played tennis. So we played other sports as much as tennis, at least to, to a certain age. And I think uh, 
So we approach the tennis training from an athletics perspective or from just the tennis perspective. I think I'm doing what my fantasy would have been as a kid, like preparing. You know, I started taking lessons at 19. You know, where I grew up, it wasn't really a, a private lesson. You know, private lessons weren't normal. And, you know, when I did finally take lessons, I absorbed it. You know, it was it was amazing to hear you know, technical stuff where you could hit a better ball and go, I'm better today than I was yesterday with ball striking. And I think it, it it's a bunch of pent up desire to play better. And, and therefore, you want to recreate what you kind of didn't have. I think tennis is one of, you know, it's part of what makes it so unique is the fact that it's so individually based. And I don't want to say you can become as good as you want on the, you know, as long as you put in the hours, because then I'd be Roger Federer. And obviously that is not the case. Uh, <laughs> but in, yeah, that, that joke was for you, Dalton. Sorry, Kevin and Mitch, that you had to hear that. <laughs> uh, but I guess, you, you know, you made a point there that I want to follow up on. You mentioned you played a bunch of sports when you were younger. Is that something you guys are encouraging your academy players to do? You know, keep playing soccer on the side or, you know, don't be afraid to go out and throw around the football. Maybe not, you know, full tackle, but things of that nature. Or is it, you know, once they're at the academy, they're making the decision of tennis full time? I think I think on this, it's kind of tough for us. I think about this also, like, well, how do we. You know, for example, we got kids coming out from 12 to 6. So are we going to then say, hey, you know what? You need after at 6, you need to go play some basketball. You know what I mean? Right now, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of tough for our group in that they're, you know, they're kind of the ultra committed. They're going to be here, you know, on court. But I think another way for us to look at that, another way that we've been looking at that is just an athletic development. So obviously you can go play soccer or we can get you ready to play soccer. You know, by getting you ready to play soccer, we're also getting ready ready to play tennis or ready to play basketball. So so for us, it really is, you know, one of our major conversations has been, okay, how do we amp up the athletic development? You know, and granted, we may not have, you know, a lot of time to go play soccer, volleyball, basketball, and a bunch of other sports. But from a fitness perspective, um, how can we look at it differently and get to the point where we're developing athletes and not just tennis players? So that's kind of a big you know, push for us. As we brought up fitness, we're seeing players like Fed, Nadal, Serena play at the highest levels of their game and, so, you know, well into their 30s. What level of importance is nutrition and fitness in the development of players at, at you know, for the college and professional level at the academy? I think uh, the fitness aspect, because we hit so many balls, the fitness aspect is really important for injury prevention first and foremost. So you have to do some strength training and flexibility work just to, you know, just to keep your body balanced at first, you know, first and foremost. And then, and then you have, you need to get faster. You need to be more coordinated. You need to be more explosive. I mean, they're all such important aspects because at the end of the day, we can, we're, we're quite good on stroke development. And so what if you cap out as an athlete? That's our, our biggest fear is, you stay in the same level because of athletic development. No, absolutely. Nutrition is essential. I think it's something I certainly skipped out on too much, but you know, is that something you guys are controlling with your players? Is that, you know, you guys can only make so many suggestions, but is it, you know, nutritionally, I have this conversation a lot, Kevin, you know, jump in here whenever you want with this, but I, you know, I, I think that kids need to get plenty of good stuff. They can also have plenty of bad stuff. 
you know, I, I, I'm not trying to promote a bad diet. Don't get me wrong here. I, I have a very healthy diet and kids, you know, need to eat plenty of, we talk about protein shakes a lot and I'm trying to get stuff that they don't get. But we also have the conversation of the best athletes in the world are raised on, you know, for the most part, fast food, American football, American basketball aren't exactly the healthy diet. So they're, they're getting their protein and they're getting some essential stuff to grow bigger and stronger than anyone. So I, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to make a negative nutrition argument, but you need plenty of good stuff as well. But as long as you don't stunt your growth, um, these kids can eat. They just need a lot of calories to keep the machine going. Two quick follows to that. And sorry if I cut you off, Kevin, but number one, is Chipotle considered a healthy option? So easy. It's quick. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's pretty funny. <laughs> that, that is very funny. We were talking about this today also. Uh, look, I, I, I wanted stock in Chipotle. And nothing, nothing against those of you who are still Chipotle fans, but I just look, I just look at the food prep and the food prep I can't put in my mouth anymore. It's the food prep. I'd rather them close up the counter so I can't see what's going on, so I can shove that food in my mouth. And oh, no. I am, I am parked right outside of a Chipotle and about to eat the same meal fifteen <laughs> of the last seventeen. This years. is day fifteen. This is day fifteen. Oh, Shameless plug for Chipotle and maybe we have a Kogoba fan as well. I don't know. New <laughs> sponsor, Chipotle. Well, if this was if this was a Yelp review, it'd be they'd have like three stars because I just said no and he just said yes. <laughs> right in the middle. Love it. E. coli is a bigger deal for some than others. Yeah, I just can't I can't bring myself to doing it. Fair enough. Then my second question, chocolate milk, yes or no? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's, a hard hitting. But here's the deal. I think if you if you look at the culture of the athlete, if the culture of the athlete is to commit and really put in 100% effort consistently, right? Then uh, you know, I I've I've heard of uh I've heard of, you know, guys on the Tour de France eating a stick of butter, you know, from back in the day. Stupid <laughs> stuff like that. But I'm saying ultimately, you know, these guys are going, look, I'm I'm burning so many calories so fast that it pretty much doesn't matter what I put in there. It's going to it's going to get eradicated. But the idea, I think, to you know, it comes back to the culture of the athlete. If if the athlete is really pushing it hard, they can really put just about anything in there, and it's going to get burned up. I'm not saying eat eat just complete junk, but it, it really comes down to whether or not um, the effort is there. And I think if the effort is there, you can just about get away with just about anything. You know? Well, the chocolate milk is a great recovery drink. Right, you're gonna you're gonna feel better. You're gonna retain muscle. It's a little but bit I'm not a milk fun. fan. I'm not a milk fan myself. <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that milk is it, you know is great for digestion. Hey, they've got chocolate soy. You're good to go. I, yeah, almond milk. Throw some chocolate in there. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah, Where are we at with raw eggs in the morning? Is that just, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, back to our rocky days. Yeah, seriously. I don't think <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I'm asking. Where are we at with uh, with full body sweats? We don't wear those anymore either. <laughs> yeah, we actually called in Arnold Schwarzenegger, former California governor, and we're going to do lifting at Jackson Bridge, just power lifting. Uh, Want to switch gears a little bit to talk about uh, your foundation? and how you're making tennis more accessible to young athletes who don't necessarily have the means to train at, you know, most of the elite academies. Talk a little bit about Catalyst. Yeah, you know, Catalyst was, uh, or is, actually, uh, it's kind of my story to a, to a greater degree. Um, you know, at 19, I think I was serving 137 miles an hour. Um, but, you know, I had no idea that there were academies that, you know, potentially would be giving scholarships. I had no, I, I really had no idea about, a, about academies. Actually. I started at 13 and 
in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, basically I had hand-me-down rackets, hand-me-down shoes, clothes, whatever. I mean, we, we had no money to, 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 to buy this stuff. You know, for me, I had three tennis lessons in my lifetime, and I think two of them I paid for when I was 25. But um, Catalyst is kind of, uh, it's one of the things that I've always wanted to put in place. You know, there are a lot of different foundations, and I think it's fantastic that, you know, we want to get rackets in the hands of kids who are underprivileged. But, you know, it really is there is a group of players who have ability and are passionate about the game but don't have funding. Um, and they're, they are kind of, you know, sprinkled around the nation and they don't know, you know, where to go or they don't know how to, you know, get access to these scholarships. Um, Callus is one of the things that we want to use to, to find those players, search out talented players with ability, um, but just simply don't have the funding and then put funding in their hands and support them and kind of guide them along. Three lessons in your life and you're serving 137. I need a video. Uh, uh, I, well, here's the deal. Indian Wells had to shut down their, um, they used to do this <laughs> trip to Dubai, right? You can win a trip to Dubai for the fastest serve. I won sure. two years. I won two years in a row, and the, the third year they shut it down. Uh, Tell us about uh, Dubai. Let's you know travel. This yeah. Dubai. The best part about my trip to Dubai was uh, the Emirates flight. It was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I bet. Fifteen uh, hours in my own like reclining chair, my own you know uh, flat screen. You can eat anything you want. It was fantastic. These are ten thousand dollar tickets. It was business class. I was going to say, nutrition-wise, you can't eat anything you want, but we'll leave that there. It's a- uh, put it this way. I did eat anything I want, except for Chipotle. There was no Chipotle. In the <laughs> There's a reoccurring theme here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we want to give you the opportunity to give one final pitch. Anything that we left out, anything that you want to relay to our audience and players here in the U.S. and, and internationally? I'll start, if you don't mind. We're, we're just in the hub when we talk about UTR uh, working for us. And part of it is because we are in a hub where Monday we talk about where our kids are, which tournament our kids are going to play in on the weekend. We literally enter Monday or Tuesday night and we have three or four options every weekend for tournaments. And so when kids come here and train, they'll now have the ability to play 80 to 100 matches a year without staying in a hotel like everything is so close by within 45 minutes of the academy where you're allowed to go train all week in a hyper dedicated academy and then take the test almost every weekend play matches come back to the academy monday with a list of things that you need to do better and some things you did well and that cycle of development is really hard to beat you know and i think on top of that you know we're we're not an academy solely looking to uh, cherry pick the best players on the planet and say that we've got this great academy that we've developed players. We actually want to develop players. So we're looking for the underdog players as well, the kids who are like, hey, you know, I would like to get to this this top position, but I may be, you know, under where I need to be. Is there a facility or a place or an academy that can help me accelerate my development faster than others. And that's kind of what we're looking to do. We're, we're looking to take that on as a challenge and go, you don't have to be the best in the world, or you could be the best in the world. And we're going to provide an individualized experience for you to exceed um, your expectation of, of how quickly you can develop. You have me convinced. I'm, I'm ready to come to Jackson Bridge Academy. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. Bring, bring your doubles partner. Don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so if Max and I, that's my doubles partner, are able to beat uh, you and Mitch, you know, free tuition for, say, a month? 
I'll play left-handed. <laughs> you served 137. I served 138. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, actually, Karlovich served 142. He beat me out. I, I served 140 with the Vegas Open. Oh. oh, man. And absolutely. But, okay, so there's one last thing we want to do before we let you guys go. We don't let anyone come on the Crack Interviews podcast without putting them through one of our fans' favorite segments, the rapid fire section. So I'm going to ask sure. you guys about 10 questions. And, you know, if you could, just one word responses. I apologize in advance if I. You know, we're both over 40, afterwards. right? We don't, oh. we don't think that fast. So. Okay. You're, you know what? Two, I'll, give you, uh, I'll give you two words, even if necessary. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So we'll start. Um, Favorite tennis player for both of you guys? Better, I'm done. I'm good. Fed as well? Mm, I would have said Andy Murray, but we'll let it slide. Nice. You play doubles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite meal off the court other than Chipotle? In and out. Chicken and potatoes. Uh, this guy's a, well, Fuji. Yeah, I was going to say, for both of you guys, you got three words there, so I like it. Um, all right, you're too old for. You're too old for favorite video game, so we'll go. If you were to take away any stroke, which would it be on the tennis court? So you can't use it. Your opponent can't use it. It's just gone from tennis. That's definitely the 137-mile serve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, right? Uh, that's a tough one. Wow. Drop shots. Let's go with drop shots. I was going to say drop shot is a common theme. Uh, I, thought, I was only thinking major. I mean, come on, guys. Half all. <laughs> Yeah. yeah that, thank you. Oh, great question. Okay, favorite song or artist? I'm going with right now, Avet Brother. Uh, Mosaic MSC. No one's gonna know who they are. Mosaic. I'm, I'm going to Spotify now. Okay. <laughs> Three more. Favorite feeding drill. Wow. Yeah. You got favorite. I'm, well, I have so many. many. I have so many. Uh, so. Uh, um. Approach volley overhead. Oh, great choice. Sure. Go with that. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Favorite city in the world? Who is this? Where, where do the questions come from? I, I came New through York. for 60 minutes. New York, New York, because <laughs> I haven't been anywhere. Oh, I like it. Uh, yeah, I'd have to say New York. All right, beautiful. And the last question, your favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is? The smell. Oh, let's go. Ooh, I'd go with a bounce. Like <laughs> there it is. I'm tired well, of hey, smell. guys, thank you so much for coming on, Kevin, Mitch. It was a blast having you on, and we're really looking forward to this partnership moving forward. To our audience, we've got a lot of uh, content collaborations coming your way in the next few weeks and months, so look forward to that. But, yeah. Video's coming. coming Video's coming, guys. Thanks for Absolutely. having us, guys. It's been a blast. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Anytime either of you want to hop on the Great Shot podcast, talk about some of these results on tour, you have my number. Sweet. Thanks for listening to Gruskin and I's conversation with Kevin Jackson and Mitch Bridge of Jackson Bridge Academy. Uh, Kevin and Mitch have built a very special academy out there. So for all of you tennis players looking to make it 
to college tennis or beyond, check them out at jacksonbridgetennis.com. Again, that's jacksonbridgetennis.com. They really have a strong passion for the game, and it's contagious just here in the episode. Thanks again for coming on. As you know, I uh, at the end of every episode, we've made it a tradition around here to give a major shout-out to the magician, our producer, and the one and only Daniel Westoff. He does his thing and make our podcast sound crisp and smooth and um, you know, really helps us out around here. But we have a few incredible interviews on the way. We still have Oklahoma commit Mason Byler coming for you, uh, World 111 Cameron Norrie, Caroline Dolhide, who just took Simona Halep to three here at Indian Wells, and some other exciting new interviews on the horizon, so stay tuned. Take five seconds to go subscribe to the Cracked Interviews podcast if you haven't already, as well as the Great Shot podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Only five stars. Thank you. And uh, we are also now on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, the TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcast. So check us out there as well. And I know many of you are doing this already, but go tell your friends and family about Cracked Rackets and the podcast, especially those tennis heads out there that are looking for all things tennis. But you know the deal. I don't have to say that. But uh, for one, Alex Gruskin, Daniel Westoff, I'm Dalton Thieneman, and we will see you next time, crack fans. The Thank you.